everybody. Welcome to Skype a Scientist Live. I'm Sarah McAnulty. I run the Skype a Scientist program. Um, some housekeeping for the day. Um, tomorrow, we are going to be talking at 1 p.m. about uh, parrots and how uh, they are able to learn vocally and all about their genetics. On Friday the 19th, we'll be talking about disaster drones with Laura Hart. Um, and then next week is going to be all cephalopod themed because it's cephalopod week. Um, and so Monday we're going to be talking about how to raise a squid in captivity with one of the best people in the world at doing that. His name is Brett Grassy. He works at the Marine Biological Laboratory in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. On the 23rd, we're going to be talking about squid senses, so how they sense their world. And then on Friday, this is still tentative, but I believe we'll be talking about uh, cuttlefish. Um, that's all that we have uh, for the next two weeks, but we've got uh, stuff scheduled for July as well. Um, but today we're gonna be talking about hagfish and their uh, ability to produce absurd amounts of slime. And uh, I generally love hagfish and love slimy things. So I'm very excited to talk today with Sarah Shorno. Um, so Sarah, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, yeah. So as you've already said, my name's Sarah Shorno. Uh, I'm currently working as a course coordinator and instructor at the University of Guelph, where I also did my PhD studying hagfish slime. Um, and I think everybody is kind of you know, a huge fan of slime just because it's something so unique and it's a fun thing to bring up at a dinner party and kind of gross people out in an appropriate forum. <laughs> totally. Um, so can you just like, let's say that we don't know what a hagfish is at all. Like what, what is a hagfish? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. It's usually the first question I get from most folks. So a hagfish is a jawless fish. They're closely related to uh, the lampreys, which is their closest extant relative. And hagfishes sort of look like an eel, but uh, they have this tooth plate that they can evert out of their mouth to feed with. And they're pretty well known for being the first thing to show up to a dead whale on the bottom of the ocean. They have a really great sense of smell and they'll burrow into those whale carcasses and eat them basically from the inside out. But they're also known uh, you know, famously for the amounts of slime that they can produce as well, like liters and liters of slime within a few milliseconds of uh, being touched or being attacked by something. Amazing, so how, okay. How, where are they producing the slime and how are they able to do it so, so fast? Yeah, so they, all along the lengths of their body on both sides, they have these slime glands, which have two different cell types in them, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, so anywhere between 70 to 150 pairs of glands can be found on a hagfish. It depends on the species. And these slime glands produce these two cell types. One is a mucus producing cell, so it produces a mucus similar to what is in our nose, for example, um, or what you think of for a slime. But then the other unique component are these thread cells that they produce. And these threads are, when they're all tightly coiled up, they sort of look like a ball of yarn within the cell. They're about 100 microns in size, so they're quite a large cell. You can see them pretty well with the naked eye. Um, but when these threads uncoil, they can be as long as 15 centimeters. And that's what really makes the hagfish slime so unique. So they create this slime in these glands along the length of their body. And when they're attacked or when they feel like they're stressed uh, by some sort of a touch stimulus, 
they'll contract a musculature around the gland and it shoots these cells into the seawater around them, mixes all together and creates the slime. Awesome. So is the fact that the like thread so tightly wound and then like unspools, is that how this animal can make slime like multiple times its body worth of slime? Yeah, so that's one of the, the thoughts right now uh, in the literature is that these threads are so tightly coiled and they seem to be held together with this glue. Uh, mm -hmm. So each cell produces only one thread. And when the glue is dissolved by the seawater, they completely unravel very quickly. And when the mucus cells hit the water, they sort of swell and form the gel component of the slime. Um, but the slime overall is very dilute, less than 1% of what you actually would hold pulling it up from a bucket, less than 1% is actually those cells. The rest is all seawater. Wow. So is it just very good at like holding seawater where it is? Exactly. Yeah. So it's actually a very dilute biomaterial, but Whoa. these threads make it really strong and really unique. Huh, cool. So then are there people like working on... Um, taking what we're learning from the biomaterial of slime and then applying it to other things? Yeah, so uh, my old supervisor for my PhD, Doug Fudge, he still has a lab down at Chapman University in Orange County in California. So they're still doing a lot of work looking at how those thread cells work and how the mucus cells work. And there's some of the other groups around the, the globe as well. There's a group over in Switzerland, I believe, who's also looking more at the biomaterial properties. And I think one of the overarching hopes with studying hagfish slime is that we wanna be able to create things like clothes or textiles out of these protein-based fibers. Whoa, cool. Um, so how big are hagfish, generally speaking? Like what's the size, size range we're talking about? Yeah, the ones we had on campus uh, at University of Guelph, we had the Atlantic and the Pacific species. Uh -huh. uh, they were anywhere between, you know, maybe six inches to 12 inches in length uh, on average, but the largest species, I believe, is the New Zealand hagfish. They can get to be about a meter long and like about as wide as a person's thigh. Whoa, so how much, how much slime can they make? Uh, I would imagine it's pretty proportional to their body size. So there's a really cool video of it was I think it was the New Zealand hagfish being attacked by a small shark and it actually produces enough to ward off that shark. Awesome that's super cool so okay maybe a couple years ago um there was like a truck of hagfish that like okay and okay so for those of you who don't know there was a truck of hagfish it got into a car crash and there was just hagfish slime like all over this car and all over the highway but I can't think of a solid reason to have a truck full of hagfish. So why, why would you have a truck full of hagfish? <laughs> That's a good question. It seems to be sort of the anniversary of that being in the news. We get a lot of press around hagfish this time of year. Uh -huh. um, I believe that uh, truck was going through Oregon, I want to say. I'm not exactly sure, but they were transporting it, um, actually the ship over to Korea. So there's a huge market for hagfish meat and hagfish skins over in Korea. Uh -huh. And they're often fished out in, um, you know, the western part of the United States. And then they're shipped over uh, to Korea for food and for creating it. If you've ever seen in markets over there, any of the eel skin wallets, 
Uh -huh. A lot of the times the skin is actually the hagfish skin. Gotcha. Okay. Sounds good. Um, yeah, I feel like that would be exciting to see on the highway, but that's <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So is it possible for us at home to make slime that approximates hagfish slime? Um, I'm not really too sure. I guess a lot of the slimes that you can create at home would be sort of based with borax and things like that, which create those non-Newtonian fluids. Mm -hmm. Hagfish slime doesn't really act the same way because they, like I said, they're mostly made up of water. I'm not sure if there's currently that I know of off the top of my head, a synthetic version, which would mimic that slime that you could make at home. Cool. There's other fun slimes, obviously. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, it sounds good. Yeah. I've only ever made the borax slime personally, yeah. um, but that's awesome. So, okay. Um, so someone is asking, would you think that, do you think that hagfish are like an underwater snail? Cause they kind of look like snails all coiled up or are they quite different? They look more like an eel. So I, a lot of the times you'll see the pictures of them and that's the Pacific species. They like to curl up. Uh -huh. uh, on top of the sand at the bottom of the ocean. And there actually is some research looking at handedness in that coiling. So they only ever coil in the one direction, which is pretty cool. That is really cool. Um, is that hagfish slime dangerous? Only if you're a fish or something that breathes with gills. Oh, is that why it, it wards animals off because they don't want to like get clogged up? Exactly, yeah. So if you think of something like a mammal or a bird, like our, uh, you know, a mammal like ourselves, which we eat and we breathe through separated tubes, right? So everything can come through the mouth, but we have the epiglottis that can close off our respiratory tract while right. we're eating so we don't choke. Well, with fishes and sharks, that doesn't happen. The food can pass over the gills, or in that case, the slime can pass over the gills, and it can get trapped on the gills, especially with those fibers. It gets caught on the gill rakers, which are these protrusions at the beginning of the uh, set of gills, and it clogs the gills. So in order to uh, unclog their gills, a, a fish or a shark will have to continuously swim in order to clear that. They can't really cough it up like a lot of other uh, like, you know, land-dwelling animals would be able to. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that sounds scary. Um, yeah. so if you're a you can slurp them up like spaghetti, but if you're a shark, not so much. <laughs> well, sounds good. So, are, so then are marine mammals the main predators of hagfish? Uh, yeah, so that's the most common sort of areas that they show up in the stomach contents of are marine mammals or some birds. Um, and... I think that's about it. Yeah, there are some fishes which may be able to take a chunk out of a hagfish, but for the most part, they can slime and then get away. They can survive that first bite and live to slime another day. Live to slime another day. Beautiful. Um, what color are hagfish? I think they're kind of a purpley color. This is actually something that was being heavily debated while I was in the lab. Really? <laughs> yeah, we, uh, there was something that was debated quite often. So I think they're sort of a purpley brown. Some of them are a little bit lighter in color, almost like a pink color. Mm. Um, but my parents actually got me a cake of a hagfish and I had to describe the color of a hagfish to the, the cake decorator. So they kind of went with a brown, a purpley brown. I completely agree with you that they're purple. I think they are a purple animal from all the hag. Oh, I've seen like six hagfish in my life, but they've all been 
I don't know, solidly in the purple camp, I would, in my non-professional opinion of color <laughs> hagfishes. Um, is, is hagfish slime a color or is it kind of translucent, transparent? Uh, it's mostly transparent, yeah. So it's sort of, uh, it can kind of look a little off-white in the seawater uh -huh. um, once it sort of forms the slime itself. But for the most part, it's pretty clear. Cool. So, okay, you said that New Zealand has a hagfish, and the and there are West Coast and East Coast hagfish. Is yep. where else do they live? They're all over the globe. So there's, I think, there's 82 described species of hagfishes right now. That number may be going up soon, from what I understand. Um, my old supervisor has been doing some work down in the Galapagos, and I believe they have maybe described some new species, or will be describing some new species soon. Cool. But they live in the bottom of the ocean pretty much worldwide. Awesome. Um, so what do hag, other than whale falls, what are hagfish snacking on? Uh, anything they can really get their, uh, their tooth plates on. So for the most part, they're scavengers. That's why they tend to go to, you know, whale falls and carcasses and things like that in the ocean floor. Uh, but they have been known to prey on things like benthic invertebrates, um, and small fishes and things like that that can burrow into sand where they can go and sort of track them down. Sounds good. Um, so generally speaking, you said that hagfish have really good senses of smell, but other than that, what are hagfish senses like? Uh, not very good from what I understand. <laughs> um, not my area of expertise, but they don't really have great eyes. They mostly have vestigial eyes. Uh -huh. which are covered by layers of skin. So again, not very useful for seeing. Uh, I think they, the literature says uh, right now that they think they can see a little bit of light and shadow, but again, they're living so deep in the ocean that it's really not useful for them. They really rely on that sense of smell. They have a single nostril, which they can bring seawater through and uh, be able to smell through. Very cool. So are they surviving in pretty cold water if they're living so deep? Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, can hagfish be kept as a pet? <laughs> They're pretty low maintenance, um, as long as you don't have them slime. So they're pretty chaotic to keep in anything that has a flow-through filter. <laughs> if it, they create lots of slime in the tank, um, you have to get pretty good at being able to take them out of the tank without having them slime in there. Uh -huh. Otherwise, you're sticking your arm in and trying to gather it all out. But for the most part, they're pretty easy to take care of uh, on the animal care side of things. They eat maybe once a month. Uh, we just throw seafood medley from the grocery store in there and they chow down on the squid and the cuttlefish. Uh -huh. And they, yeah, they pretty much just take care of themselves at that point. Sounds good. Um, do you have a favorite kind of hagfish? I worked mostly with the Pacific hagfish, so I guess they would be my favorite, but I don't think I'd be able to choose a favorite overall. They're just pretty cool. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, does the slime last for a really long time or does it eventually break down? It eventually breaks down. It's made mostly of proteins. So if you think of proteins, they can dissolve or degrade pretty quickly if they're uh, in a simple form. So I would say, you know, the slime maybe lasts uh, an hour, a couple of hours, and then it starts to lose its ability to hold on to water and the proteins will start to degrade as well. 
sounds good. Um, Esme wants to know, can hagfish live in polar oceans? Yeah, I believe so. I believe there are some Arctic species of hagfishes. Cool. Are hagfish endangered? Some of them are, yeah. So there are some species, which again, I believe have been overfished. And because we can't farm them like other species of fish, they don't reproduce in captivity. And we really don't know a lot about how they reproduce overall. So there's no way to really farm them reliably. So populations or species which have been uh, fished for food or for a, a food market have declined quite a bit. Oh, that's too bad. Um, so how long have hagfish been around? I think the current literature says anywhere between 330 million years to 100 million years is the oh, oldest wow. fossil I believe was dated back to 330 million years. Awesome. Um, so, okay, you said they have a tooth plate. What exactly does that look like? And can they bite people or do they just like scrape? Like what's, what's the action happening there? They can bite. If you, if you make them angry enough, they can kind of nip at you. I think they have a bite force of something minuscule like 14 newtons, which uh -huh. is tiny. So it kind of just feels like a little pinch. Uh -huh. uh, but they don't have jaws, right? So it's not really a true bite. They have this tooth plate, which is attached to a muscle through their pharynx. Uh -huh. And they can evert it and sort of stick it out. It uh -huh. has all these teeth pointed in one direction. And they can sort of hook that tooth plate onto whatever they're eating. And then in order to take a bite, since they don't have jaws, they can tie themselves in a knot and then run that knot down the length of their body in order to sort of get some purchase on whatever they're trying to eat and tear off chunks. That's wild. That's bananas. That's, that's really weird and cool. So <laughs> have you personally ever been bitten by a hagfish? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We, we would keep them in, we have these PVC tubes in the tanks, uh -huh. and the Pacific hagfish like to burrow in there and hang uh -huh. out in there, but if you only want to get one out of that tube, there would be in a tube that big, you know, five or six hagfish uh -huh. all crammed in there. They can get into a really tiny space, and if you're trying to just get the one out, and the others are pushing up against your hand, they can try to nip you, but <laughs> it's kind of a cute little attempt at being ferocious. Oh, that, that, that does strike me as being really cute, even if maybe some people don't think hagfish are cute. That's funny. Yeah. Um, cool. So if, okay, let's say a hagfish gets startled. It produces slime. Like, how much slime can it produce? Or is at some point, is it just like, I, I'm all slimed out? Like, I've produced all the slime I can. Yeah, so that's a great question. That was part of the research that I did in the lab was oh, cool. seeing how many times, basically, they can slime before they're empty. So when they're in sort of a natural setting, they don't produce the slime preemptively to an attack. They actually have to be touched or bit, or, or in our case in the lab, we can stimulate them in air with, it looks like a little cattle prod, uh -huh. and you can stimulate each gland individually. So in the lab, uh, we can stimulate a gland on average seven or eight times before they can't produce anything else, there's still a little bit of slime retained in there, but it, the muscles or whatever mechanisms that are helping with ejection, they can't push any more slime out after about seven or eight attacks, I guess, as it were. Um, again, would that be something that would happen in a natural setting? Hopefully they don't have that bad of a day that they're right. being attacked seven or eight times in a row in the same spot. Um, and they can control, so based off of where they're attacked, that's where they'll release the slime from. It's not a whole body response. 
it's not as if they get bitten on the tail and the slime all over their body is ejected. They'll uh -huh. only release slime in the area that they're bitten. Oh, sounds good. Um, does anything eat the slime produced by hagfish if it's full of protein? Mm, that's a good question. I don't think so. It's mostly made up of glycoproteins and intermediate filaments, the, you know, less than 1% that is made up of the protein itself. Cool. Um, so how similar are hagfish to normal fish? Like, do they have vertebrae? Um, I know they look like eels, but are they eels or are they something else? Yeah, they're, they're not eels. So they kind of have that eel-like body, that elongate body. They don't have any paired fins like a lot of other fishes do. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't have those jaws either, and they don't have true gills. Um, they'll have these gill pouches that looks like little holes down the sides uh, of their, just behind their head. Uh-huh. And they breathe through these pouches. Um, and they don't have a spine, getting back to that question as well. So they only have a notochord, which is sort of the precursor to a spine. So that's why they're considered one of those basal vertebrates or those outgroups, uh, looking at evolution of vertebrates over time. And they're sort of our our most modern version of a, a fossil that we can really have swimming around still. Cool. Um, about how long do hagfish live as individuals? Nobody really knows. Um, like I said, because we don't know how they reproduce, we can't get them to reproduce in captivity for the most part. Uh, we don't really know the life uh, cycle or the lifespan of a hagfish. Some of the ones we would keep on campus, we would be able to keep them for a few years at a time, um, but we don't know how old they are when they come to us. And we can't age them the same way that we age other fish, which is with those little bones in their uh, nose. Cool. Um, yeah, so what's the like youngest hagfish you think you've caught? Like how do you even get them in the lab in the first place? Do you catch them? Like how's that all work? Yeah, so we catch them. Well, we don't catch them personally. We would have them shipped onto campus since Guelph is uh, nowhere near an ocean, even though we have a huge marine biology program. Uh -huh. um, but the process for hag fishing itself is they're fairly easy to catch. You just put this bucket down at the bottom of the ocean and they have these funnels which are sort of pleated and cut into segments. Uh -huh. so they can swim in but they can't swim them out and you just put something dead and really stinky uh, and attractive to a hagfish in there and they swim in you leave it for 24 hours come back pick it up the next day pull it up and you should have a bunch of hagfish in there sounds good um, yeah so i mean if they do grow sort of linearly over their lifespan we have gotten some as small as maybe a couple inches long so i would say they're probably likely pretty young um, but the only time somebody's really successfully bred hagfish in captivity was a group in Japan. And there was no like protocol in place for raising these hagfish. I think they just, from my understanding, took the eggs that were laid in an aquarium, put them in a separate tank for a number of months, something crazy like more than 12 months. They waited for these to develop and eventually these baby hagfish were born. And they don't have a larval phase like some other fishes do, uh -huh. just are born kind of looking like a mini hagfish, but they just have a big yolk sack on them, so they can't really swim that well. They're pretty oh. cute. That sounds good. So we think they just like use up their, their eggs out of their yolk and then start eating dead stuff when they find it, basically? 
Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're guessing, yeah. Sounds good. Um, so, all right, that answers Maria's question. Um, let's see. So, <clears throat> excuse me, has anybody ever tried tagging hagfish like we do with other animals to see where they go and what they do? Yeah, I think uh, previously in, in the lab that I was working in, they had tried to do um, radio tagging with them. So it just involves putting a little pill-shaped tag into the body. The problem with hagfish compared to being able to tag other types of fish is they have such loose skin connections with the rest of their body. So they have this large um, sinus around the body between the skin and the body itself. So you can put a tag in, but it'll move around the whole body itself. It's hard to find it again. And sometimes it can make its way out of the body afterwards as well. Cool. Um, Weird. So it's sort of a yes and no to that question. You could potentially, but I'm sure there's a better way than what has been tried already. <laughs> right. <laughs> cool. Weird. Um, okay. So here's a good question. So, okay. Uh, a hagfish gets attacked. It produces absurd amounts of slime. How does it not choke on its own slime? Yeah, that's a great question. So they can uh, if they don't clean themselves off quickly enough. But like we were talking about with being able to tie themselves into a knot while eating, they can do that to clean themselves of their own slime. So they can tie themselves into an overhand knot or a figure eight knot, run uh -huh. that knot over the length of their body and clean themselves off. So then they're still able to breathe. When you touch a hagfish, does it feel slimy? Yeah, I think it's, it feels as slimy as any other fish. They have okay. normal epidermal mucus on top of the slime that they produce. Okay, sounds good. Um, so yeah, that answers the question, can hagfish be slimy if they're not producing slime? Um, yeah. that <laughs> um, about how much do you need to feed a hagfish a month? Like how, like one shrimp? Like what are we talking here? <laughs> yeah, they have pretty low metabolisms. They can go for months at a time even without food. Uh -huh. um, and I would say we probably had about 200 hagfish at any one time in the tanks on campus and would feed them maybe a five pound bag of fish a month. Um, some of them would eat, some of them wouldn't eat, and it's not very elegant when they do eat. They kind of just swallow it whole <laughs> uh -huh. for the most part. Um, but yeah, they would maybe eat, yeah, like you said, like a shrimp or a piece of calamari a month, and that would be them. They'd be fine for a while. Sounds good. Um, how do hagfish swim? That's a good question. They kind of swim and produce this sine wave motion. So it, it mostly starts, from my understanding, around their head. They mostly swim by moving their head and then moving the rest of their body. But they're pretty unique because they can swim forward and backwards. Oh, okay. So if they don't see the side of the tank, for example, and swim up to it, they can bump into it and then actually swim backwards. Oh, cool. So Doug Budge and some other folks down at Chapman have been doing some uh, maze challenges, I believe, putting hagfishes in mazes to see how they swim as the sides around them get smaller and seeing if that pattern changes at all. Um, and trying to do some modeling about that swimming behavior. It's pretty cool. Awesome. That's super cool. Um, Michael would like to know, were you interested in hagfish all the way back to when you were an undergrad or did you just kind of fall into this area of study? Uh, yeah, a little bit of both. So um, my eventual PI for my PhD was one of my professors in an undergraduate course. He taught me both of the invertebrate zoology courses I took. And I believe he plugged his research in one of the labs. 
And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Like the most metal animal I'd ever heard of uh, before. Yeah. And my undergraduate work was also focused on things that were sort of slimy, I guess. I was studying snail killing flies. Um, so also having to do a little bit with snails and mucus and things like that. But yeah. any chance to be able to, again, talk about something kind of gross in an appropriate manner, <laughs> it's always, always attracted me to studying. I love slimy things too. I think they're great. I love snails. I love slugs. So squid are pretty slimy too. They're not producing that much slime, but squid are slimier than you might anticipate because when they ink, they mix mucus into that ink and it gets pretty slimy for sure. Yeah. So. There are some squid which can produce comparable amounts of slime to hagfish. Really? I know Ooh. about the ones that produce the like glue basically, but who in the squid world is producing that much slime? I'm trying to remember what type of what it is. I'll have to send you the paper after this. I would love to. Learn. And there's even uh, other fishes like the, the queen parrot fish, which can produce. You know what? Tell us about that because that's so, so, so cool. Yeah. So the parrot fish can produce this cocoon of mucus, which they basically sleep in for periods of time. Um, so it, again, it's not quite a defensive situation, but they're trying to keep themselves in an acidation state. But there's a lot of work that's being done to see molecularly, how do all these different types of slime compare? Like, are, are there similar genetics behind each of them? That's so cool. So basically the parrotfish, are they doing that so, so animals can't smell them while they're snoozing? Is that like, we think? Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's part of it, is trying to not be smelled while they're sort of in a vulnerable state. And I think it just helps them slow their metabolism and you know keep themselves clean as well during that situation. Super cool. Uh, oh yeah, excuse me. Um, is it legal to buy and sell hagfish? Um, and there, are there any laws that protect hagfish? I'm sure it differs regionally. Yeah, I, I'm. From my understanding, the two species we worked with were not uh, protected in, in terms of being an endangered species at all. But up here in Canada, anytime you want to be fishing for anything, even for research, you need to go through the proper channels in order to go fishing for them. So yeah. I, I wouldn't recommend just boating out to the ocean and throwing down a bucket with some dead stuff and waiting for hagfish to show up. You may get some questions if port authorities <laughs> catch you after yeah. that. Um, so I would definitely say, look at your sort of local regulations surrounding any kinds of fish that you want to catch. Any animals at all that you catch, you probably need a permit of some kind if you're in the United States. For sure. Uh, even for like these little shrimp that we would catch for the, for the squid to eat, we had to permit for that as well. Um, yeah. What does hagfish slime smell like? Uh, it kind of smells just salty like seawater and it probably tastes the same too. Um, there was sort of the question for a little while of whether it had a bad taste and that's what warded off predators. Uh -huh. um, there's still some debate on whether that is the case, but for the most part, again, it's mostly seawater making up that slime. So I would imagine it mostly just tastes salty. Sounds good. There's a specific smell when squid ink, even if it's just the mucus, sometimes they'll, if they're, um, in the process of getting knocked out, like for um, for science, we're just like anesthetizing them, and then they they'll wake up later that day, but they'll shoot out the mucus without the ink. I don't know why they do that. I don't know if it's just confusion or what, but like scared squid has a very specific smell, and I yeah. can't describe it. It's like it only smells like scared squid, and I I don't. It's like a weird marine, but like its own. <laughs> 
I, it smells like nothing I've ever smelled before, but once you smell it, I don't think you'll ever forget it. Um, that's not helpful information. I just wanted to share that. Um, yeah, yeah. Hagfish definitely have a distinctive smell. I wouldn't know how to describe it other than being kind of a stinky, smells like a hagfish. <laughs> smell. Um, yeah. I do associate the smell of cloves with hagfish, though, because we anesthetize them with clove oil. Oh, yeah. So it kind of ruins Christmas for you when you're yeah. dealing with <laughs> hagfish a lot. Yeah. I think that works in squid, too, although I've never used it. I've just always used ethanol. Um, yeah. just like alcohol basically and knocks them out pretty good um and, but it works differently for those parents watching at home it works it's not like we're getting the squid drunk it's different like their whole uh brain system works different than ours and so what works in a hagfish or a squid it's just not the same as a human which is why it makes them numb basically yeah just knocks them clean out um how quickly can hagfish swim that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure, you know, the miles per hour, the kilometers per hour, how quickly they can swim, but they're, they're pretty quick. That's cool. Um, is it hard to like catch a hagfish if it's trying to swim away from you? Yeah, so we would try and catch them in nets if they were swimming around, um, but they are pretty quick and can maneuver. Again, they can swim forwards or backwards, so they can maneuver their way around pretty easily. Um, the, the most ideal way to try and get them out of the tank would be to try and lift up the PVC tubes that they were in uh -huh. um, and lift the tube itself up very, very slowly and then tip that tube into your bucket of anesthetic water or water that you're transporting them in. So then you don't disturb them and you don't get that slime. Very good. Um, cool. Can hagfish produce slime while they're sleeping? Uh, I'm not sure. I would assume, I mean, if they're bitten, they probably can. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, can hagfish swim through seaweed? I would assume so, yeah. I would think so too. Yeah. Um, if they can tie themselves in knots, I feel like, what can't they do? That, fe <laughs> that feels very impressive to me. Um, so they can stop a whole traffic on the highway, so what else do you know? They're pretty impressive animals. Although, I don't know, I don't really know how much seaweed would be down where they live. Probably not a lot. Um, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Because they're, they're living so deep that the sunlight doesn't get down there, so there's really nothing for seaweed to, like, grow off of. Um, but if you gave them the opportunity, I'm sure they could. Um, let's see. So, okay, we have time. We have time. Um, how quickly is it between when you startle the hagfish and when it produces slime? Like, what's the lag there? Like, milliseconds. It's one of the fastest biological reactions out there. That's amazing. Um, yeah, so those threads you know, very quickly uncoil, uh, and then the mucus quickly ruptures to form the gel component of the slime. So it's literally within milliseconds of being bitten, you're going to have, or biting a hagfish, you're going to have a mouthful of slime. Amazing. So cool. Um, let's see. So do we know, do hagfish sleep? I think so. I would assume so. They spend a lot of time just lounging otherwise. <laughs> so do we know anything like what's a hagfish brain like? Like what kind of, um, how, what are their behaviors like? Like what are they doing? Yeah, so there's actually a group at the University of Guelph who is studying their brains. Uh, I believe Sarah Alderman and Todd Gillis, uh, their lab has been looking a little bit at uh, their brains and a little bit more about the histology, so the the cellular makeup of their brains, trying to figure out, you know, how the neurons are made and things like that. But I think their brains are fairly simple, even for a fish. 
yeah, it seems like they're sort of on the simpler end of the fish spectrum for sure. Yeah. Not that they're, they're, they're not technically a fish, right? Yeah, again, there's sort of depends on who you talk to. Oh, what is a fish? <laughs> Sounds good. Um, cool. So let's see. We've talked about predators. We said marine mammals, um, mostly. We've talked about how many species there are. Um, do they have like blubber or anything? Because they're living so cold. Like, how are they staying safe at that cold temperature? Yeah, I mean, they have quite thick skin for, uh, for a fish. They have a few layers of, um, of epidermal or like below the epidermis, they have a few layers of fat, uh, but it's not nearly as thick as you would imagine things like a whale or um, any of those other marine mammals that have thick layers of blubber, like you were saying. Um, I think they've just become adapted to being in the cold over you know, millions of years of evolution. Um, and they have such a low metabolism that they can get away with being cold so long as well. Cool. Um, let's see. So what do you like most about studying hagfish and their slime? I don't know how to put it into words. It just, who doesn't want to say they study slime? <laughs> it's I just agree. so cool. <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah. Um, so uh, what happens if a hagfish were to like bump into something like let's say it bumps into an anemone or like um, a rock, like that's not scary. So like, how does it know what is a threat and what's not a threat? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think, you know, they can run into things in their environment and not be perturbed enough to produce slime. I think it takes, there's probably a force threshold uh, in terms of pressure applied to them that causes them to produce the slime or for that musculature to contract and force the slime out of the glands. I'm not sure we completely understand everything around uh, what actually activates that other than a bite or a touch. Right. Sounds good. Um, are there any questions that you wish we asked you today about hagfish and their slime? I'm not sure. There's nothing yeah, like, I can't believe we didn't talk about this thing that hagfish do. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I could go on and on even just about the threads that they have in their slime because they're just so unique. I mean, I don't think there's many other types of animals that I know of on the earth that create these really, really long threads from such a small cell, you know, a hundred micron size cell creating a 15 centimeter long thread, uh, tightly compacted. So is it all like being made within the cell and then exported as like a little like meatball or is it like like a spider where it's like extruding out of the cell yeah so each cell creates uh it looks like a little ball of yarn uh -huh. and as these cells are forced out through the pore of the gland to the outside uh -huh. environment their cell membranes are sheared off oh. and, then that, and then they uncoil whoa yeah cool so it's like a capsule that basically breaks allowing them to Exactly, but they're oh. super strong. Like I think the only thing really that's much stronger than them uh, are spider silk, like you're talking about spider silk. But cool. overall, you know, pound for pound, they're stronger than steel. If you had a fiber of comparable dimensions, they would be stronger than steel, tensile strength. Wow, oh, man, hagfish, 
shouldn't ever underestimate a hagfish. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we've got two final questions for you before we wrap up today. One okay. is, um, what is something that you wish everybody in the world knew about your area of expertise? Um, and then the second question is, what is something that you wish everybody in the world knew about literally anything? It can be as silly and insignificant or like big picture significant as yeah. you'd like. I think more people would look at biology and try to get ideas of how we could take things from nature and make our world a better place. So even things like Velcro, like a lot of bio-inspired bio design, I think there's so many opportunities for cool engineering products if we just looked at biology. So I think one of the biggest takeaways I would say is biologists reach out to your engineers and engineers reach out to your biologists. There's probably some really cool collaborations that you can do. Um, and any kinds of questions we have, we can probably find an answer somewhere in biology. That's a great, great point. And do you have anything for the uh, second question? What was the second question? <laughs> is, uh, what do you wish anybody knew, everybody knew about literally anything not related to your area of expertise? About literally anything? Ooh. I don't know. That's such a big question. <laughs> a good question. We ask the hard-hitting questions here at Skype with Scientist Live. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe just look at slime more. It's pretty cool. <laughs> look at slime. Great, great answer. Okay, um, is there anything that you'd like to plug before we wrap up or uh, places we can find you on social media? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I post mostly just about the courses that I'm teaching uh, at the time and try to retweet any cool science or causes that I see. Um, but yeah, you can always find me at the University of Guelph when we're not in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> yep. And what's your Twitter, Twitter handle? It's at Sarah Shorno. Perfect. That's easy. Um, okay, so... Uh, Last final housekeeping, uh, tomorrow we're going to be talking about uh, parrots and how they uh, learn and talk and how their genetics is rolled into all that. Friday we're talking about disaster drones, both at 1 p.m. Um, you can find the links for that at skypescientist.com, click the live stream link, and then you'll also see our July schedule, which has just been released about an hour ago. Um, and that is pretty much all we have. Um, if you can support our program, um, first support some of the like bigger societal things we have going on right now. Like maybe uh, there, there's like many bail funds locally that you can support or many other things that are uh, maybe more prescient right now. But if after you do that and after you've done your reading, uh, you can support Skype a Scientist, we'd really, really appreciate it. And that's at patreon.com slash Skype a Scientist or one-time donations at paypal.me slash Skype a Scientist. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we really appreciate your time. It was really great. Uh, yeah, and I also great. just like love hagfish and I have a hagfish slime. So I was really excited to have you on. Um, yeah. And Erin, thank you for signing for us today. Um, and we'll see all the rest of you tomorrow at 1 p.m. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye.